but, but our Paul uh, preached last week, and, and one of the last verses that he preached was just this sublime, glorious truth that Paul conveys as this intimate, personal thing about his Savior and what he has done for him. At the end of chapter 2, Paul says, listen to all the per- first-person personal pronouns here. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How sweet and tender is that? What kind of God? Our God is a God who has given himself fully for us. So he's this sweet, sweet, tender, rich message. And then he just comes out swinging again in our passage. Oh, foolish Galatians. And I might look at my manuscript some. In fact, at the top of it, it says, one, one commentator says this, he translates, oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. I mean, that's literally what Paul is saying. He's saying, you have veered away from the gospel. And so what, what we're going to look at this morning is that you just never graduate from the gospel. You can never, ever, the gospel, as you've heard me say before, is not the A, B, C's of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. There, you can never get past it. You never need to get past it. And the Galatians have sort of started to think, that they need to get past it and started to try to get past it. They look to Christ, but now that they're in the Christian life, they've begun to walk according to their own strength and their own spirit and their own keeping of the law and their own performance. And Paul says, you fools, come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. So we're going to look at that this morning. You never graduate from the gospel. We're not only saved by it, but we're sanctified by it. We're not only justified by the gospel, but again, we are sanctified. We are completed. We are finished by the gospel from A to Z. So first point is just start to finish. The Christian life is one of looking to Christ and letting his person by his spirit work through us. Um, And Paul talks here in this verse about, he says, you foolish Galatians, Christ was publicly portrayed before you as crucified. How can you have gone to anything else? How can you have strayed from anything but that central message? And he's not saying, most commentators think, it's a bit cryptic. Did the Galatians, they're in Turkey, right? They see, did they see Christ crucified? Paul's preaching this 20 plus years after Christ was crucified. Did they see Christ crucified? I mean, most of them, certainly not, probably all of them, probably none of them saw Christ crucified. But what Paul is saying here is, I preached to you when I came to you in such a way as to paint Christ before you. And my preaching, and this is how preaching should be, was so full of Christ and centered on him crucified that it was as if you were watching him crucified. It was a, it was a zoom lens on the very hot core of your faith. He died in your place. Everything he has for life and godliness and righteousness is in him, and, it, and it's emblazoned in our minds as we look to Christ crucified. And that's one of the wondrous things One of the simple yet deeply profound things about the gospel is that we have this picture that summarizes it, that crystallizes it for us. And what is that picture? It's not a a dogma that I have to remember, although there's plenty of doctrine, there's plenty of creed that's good, there's plenty of things that I need to believe and and there's good theology that I want to dig into. But what we are to remember, our vital truth, our crucial, to use that word, our crucial truth as Christians as, as folks who have looked to Christ, who, who were dead in our sins and trespasses, and who have, if we've looked to Christ, been made alive, is this cross. It's our God becoming one of us and, and being splayed out, nails through his hands and feet on a cross, naked and shamed for us. We can never forget that. 
That is our life. That is our death to sin. That is our preaching. That is our word. That is everything. And thank God that it's not something that can be forgotten. And it's not something we should stray from. And Paul's saying, hey, idiots, wake up. Wake up. You can't do this by your own strength. You can't do it by your own strength, and you shouldn't do it by your own strength. And he says, let me ask you one question in verse 3, in verse 2. And you know when Paul says that, you're in trouble. Here comes the boom. Let me ask you one question. He says, you came alive in Christ when you looked to him crucified for you, and yet now you're trying to do things on your own. Like, that's just not, you started by faith, and now you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to head into works. It's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work at all. Um, and so he says, let's see here. Again, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. You're in trouble. Okay, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's like starting with a Porsche and finishing with a Pinto, and you think you're progressing. Sorry, proud Pinto owners, Ford Pinto. I don't think it's the car they make anymore, but if you have one and you're rocking it, good for you. But it doesn't really compare to a Porsche. The Porsche, Paul's saying, is looking to Christ, both in coming to him and in living in him. You never progress from that. So don't go back. Don't go back to the Pinto. Don't go back to trying to do enough good stuff to wash yourself, to make yourself presentable before God. It's not, it's not going to work. Um, Keller just has a great commentary. Tim Keller, he's a pastor up in New York on, on Galatians, and so I, I'm leaning on him a lot in this. And he, looks, he focuses in on this word that I just read. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, we trust in Christ and we receive his Spirit by faith. His life, we go from death to life, and that's all we need for life and godliness. We receive your spirit by faith. Have you started with that? Um, and are you now being perfected by the flesh? That word perfected could also mean finished, from start to finish, right? Are you start, have you started with Christ in, in the spirit, and now you're finishing yourself with your own works? But it can also mean um, completed. It's the same root word as Christ used on the cross when he said, it is finished. Epiteleo, and Christ said, tetelestai. Teleo is that root word. It is completed. Everything necessary for the salvation of my people is done. It's complete. There's nothing you can add. Live in that. Live in me. I am your life. I brought you back to the Father. Enjoy that. Enjoy me. Relationship. Okay? Don't believe in me and start trying to do stuff on your own. But what Keller digs into, I think, is, is, is so true, and that is that we, so much of our lives, as Christians, okay, as Christians, and I'll speak to those who haven't yet trusted in Christ, and I'm glad you're here. Um, you belong here, Okay? Um, we want you to feel welcome here. But to Christians who have trusted in Christ, our tendency in life, because we're born into sin and sin beckons at our door, even though we've been made saints and made righteous by the finished work of Christ, we every day we tend to stray. We tend to stray sort of un, like unanchored ships, just stray from the gospel, stray from our mooring. So we have to remind ourselves again of the gospel all the time. We have to depict and redepict Christ crucified for us. It's him. It's everything he's done. It's who he is in us. And, and Keller says, we really, we're always in life, Christian and non-Christian, striving to be completed. We're striving for completion. We are striving for people's approval. I want you guys to love me. I, I just want you to, I would even go so far as to say, worship me in my sin nature. I want, I want worship, I want adulation, I at least want to be accepted. And so I'm going around constantly trying to be completed by your good opinion of me. Or I want to control situations. And if you get between me and my perceived control of the situation, I'm bitter, I'm angry. And, and on and on it goes, right? And so we're constantly motivated in life by our desire to be completed, loved, fully known and fully loved. But we know that if we are fully known, 
we're probably not going to be fully loved because there's some nasties down here. And so we cover up, we hide, we play that game. And that's what we're driven by. That's what we're motivated by. Ever trying to achieve, ever trying to clean the surface, even if we're Christians. And so it's not just coming to Christ, but living in the fact that in him you are completed. His, he finished the work on the cross for you. Um, I am going to turn in my manuscript to one verse. Colossians 1.28 um, Paul says, this is another book, by, letter, another letter by Paul to a different church in Colossae, okay? And he says this, him we proclaim, he's talking about Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone what? Mature, same word, same root word, teleo, mature in Christ, mature, complete. We cannot be completed. It's, it's, it's that thing that's, Right, that completion. I can just be completed if I ha- if I control the situation. I'll be completed if I just get their approval. It's always right before us, and it's always moving at the same speed we are. And so we can never. It's that carrot in front of us. We can never grab it. We can never get it. But Christ has secured it for us. He knows us fully. He's God. He knows us fully, and He loves us completely because of His atoning work that He did for us on that cross. And so. Rather than trying to muscle past the anger that comes from not being able to control a situation or the shame or anger that comes from not gaining someone's approval or not, perce- not perceiving their approval, whether or not they approve of me, it's kind of beside the point. I'm worshiping that person and their approval. I'm worshiping this, this situation and my ability to sort of manage it. Right? Rather than trying to sort of get, okay, I'm a Christian. I, I, I could do better. That Paul's saying, you fool. Don't, you're trying to move past the gospel. Rather, rest in the finished work of Christ and allow that to give you space to go, okay, I'm, I'm fully loved even as a sinner. Even as a sinner, Christ died for me while I was nailing the spikes in his hands. He was praying for me. He was laying his life down. He was using that to save me, loving me. And, and so know that I'm fully known and fully loved and allow that to give me space to dig down into why is, that, why is it that I'm angry right now? How am I not resting in God's approval of me through the person of Jesus Christ? That is to gospel yourself. That is to depict and redepict the gospel. God crucified for us. This is his love for us. It doesn't just start, it finishes. It takes us all the way. It is enough. It is finished. You are complete if you've looked to Christ. It's a life of faith. You grow the same way you were born. You know, if I... Sort of looking at verses 2 through 5, Paul talks a lot about the Spirit. The Spirit is mentioned three times. It's what the Germans call the Leitwort. It's a leading word. You just want to work some German in there every now and again, you know? Make sure you guys are awake. Um, callbacks for some German. Um, it's a leading word. It's a theme. Paul's saying, look, the life of faith is one where you're filled by the Spirit. It's the Spirit who makes you new. The Spirit who makes you alive. And it's all through the work of Christ. So we have a ton of babies we have Stilly here this morning for the first time hearing the preach word. Yeah, come on, add to the worship. Come on, Stilly. Um, I know she's going to be giving me callbacks when she gets a little bit older, unintentionally, but then hopefully one day intentionally. But um, we have babies everywhere right now. We got them popping like popcorn. And so I gotta, they're going to be in my illustrations constantly. And, and the Ferran twins were just born, and that's a praise right there. Man, healthy. She was able to give birth naturally, no C-section. Everything we asked for, we got. Praise the Lord. Um, yeah, amen. Um, 
But the Ferran twins, like, I could try to make myself a member of that household by obeying their household rules. And no doubt they've got them, and no doubt they're going to have a lot more because they just have two new members of their family, and they're going to start training them and all that kind of stuff. But if I wanted to sort of wedge my way into the family, and hey, they like me, I'm their pastor, but if I'd really tried to be a member of the family and, and obey the rules, and even maybe I started to dress like Robert and, and, and stretch myself out, and he's tall, he's a giant, six seven, and grow a beard, whatever it is, it, how silly is that? Because I could never be a member of their biological family. Of course, I am in Christ, but I could never be a friend. I'm not a friend. But Connor and Ezekiel, who've done nothing, nothing, are full-fledged members. They're friends, and they will never not be, regardless of their behavior. It doesn't matter. That the love that their parents have for them will never dwindle. They might be disappointed. They're going to get some spanking, you know? But they will never not be members. I will never be a member. It's the new birth. It's the spirit. We can never get past it. We live in it. We relish the fact that Christ has brought us in. It's actually quite a simple point, but it's profound because we try to move past it as Christians, and we cannot graduate from the gospel. We can't do it. Um, the last thing I want to mention before moving to point two, the true Jew, is this that um, the word crucified at the very end, if you have the ESV, at the very end of the first verse. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, I mentioned some Greek, some German to you. Let me mention a little Greek. That word there, crucified, it's, okay, I'm not even gonna tell you what it is, but it's, it's a tense, it's a, it's a participle, and it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a uh, I believe it's a present participle, which just means this, okay? That word crucified, Christ was crucified. A, a present participle is a finished work. In the, in the Greek grammar, it's a completed verb with ongoing effects. You see what Paul's doing here? Christ died and he finished the work and it is as if it wasn't clear enough. He finished all the things necessary for your sin to be buried and for you to have perfect righteousness before the Father. And he finished it in history and he said, if we didn't get it, the last, one of the last things on the cross, it is finished, it's completed to tell us die. Okay, also I believe a participle. And those effects of that once and for all payment. No, it's not constantly being made. It's not constantly being made. There's no more payment necessary because it's been finished, but those effects are ongoing for us forever. Forever. And he sits before, he sits, he shares the throne with the Father and he stands at his right hand at the throne of power in the cosmos, interceding for you, his child, through his righteousness, and this is the point we're gonna get to now, that's conferred to you through no good of your own by faith received like an open hand, receiving a gift, the gift of God, through no good of your own, but that's fully yours. So that's what faith does, and that's what Paul gets into, and it seems like point two that he takes a pivot, and the true Jew, it's nothing new, okay? He's like, look, he starts talking about Abraham in verse six. Verses six through 10 is where we are now. He says, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is he saying here? And he goes on in seven through 10. It seems like he's, hey, what, what are you, Abraham, what are you talking about? Um, Hang on, Paul's saying, look, I'm a good Jew. I'm not a crazy Jew. I might be crazy for Christ, but I'm not crazy in any other way. And I think he literally says that in Acts 26, right? But he's crazy only for Christ. And he is a good Jew and he understands what God has been doing for all of time, preparing the world and preparing his own people for Christ. And he says, this is the way it's always worked, Jews. God never, ever 
ever set up a system that said, you obey the law perfectly and I bless you. Never. Did we not notice that the whole law that was given at Sinai is built around what? What's the whole law built around? Is it just a list of to-dos, like the Quran that just tells you, do this, do that? Like any other religion, like any other religion, I don't care how you slice it, do this, do that, and maybe, maybe you'll be at the end of time, at the judgment, maybe you'll be, it'll, be good, it'll be enough. No. So we have the law, which is a good law, but it shows us our sin, and we break it constantly. And what comes along with the law? What's in the center of the cultus? What's in the center of the life of Israel? I just gave it away. The cult. Not the occult. The cult. The, the system of sacrifices. The tabernacle first, and then the temple. With the law was given sacrifices. The, the beating heart of the revelation of God in the Old Testament is this. You can't do it. Something innocent will die for you and then you will be accepted in my sight. Bring an innocent something that doesn't deserve to die. Slit its throat. It dies in your place. You get to go on living. None of that took away sins. It was all a picture, though, of the Lamb. What did John the Baptist say when he first saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one that the whole law has been pointing to. He's the one that promise given to Abraham was pointing to. If you've missed that, Jewish friends, he's saying, You've missed everything. This is nothing new. And what does he say? Genesis, he's quoting from Genesis 15, 6, in verse 6. Just as Abraham, quote, believed God, and it was counted to him his righteousness. And one of the things Keller and others point out, countless others point out, is that this is an astonishing verse, and it's so astonishing in the way that it bucks against every other world system, religion and philosophy, I don't care, pick one, that most commentators that read these words push against them and don't accept them. And what they do is they read it as Abraham believed God and God saw that faith and was pleased with it. And so he, it was, it was Abraham's righteousness. It contributed to Abraham's righteousness. But that is not, again, this is why the epistema verba, the very words, there's some Latin for you. I've got Greek, German, and Latin. Here we go. Um, the very words of God matter. They are our life. Our life hangs on the word of God. What does this verse say? It's a direct quote of Genesis 15, 6. It, his faith, Abraham's faith in God's promise was counted to him, what's the key word? As righteousness. It didn't make Abraham righteous. It was credited to him as if it were his own righteousness. It was not his righteousness. Whose was it? God's. How would the perfect law-keeping, how would blamelessness before God be credited to Abraham as if it were his? He received that by faith, and it was accomplished 1,800 years later by Jesus Christ on the cross, which is why Jesus said in John 8, Abraham saw my day and what? Rejoiced. That's what this verse, woo, that's what this verse is talking about. Abraham believed in God's word, when God said, I'm going to give you a son, you are a hundred years old, brother, and your wife's not and I'm going to give you a son through nothing that you do, no work of yours, all my work, you believe on that word, on that promise, and I will bless the nations through you, and that's exactly what God did, and has anything changed? No, he does not want us to come to him on his, based on our merit. He says, nothing that you can do, I will do it all, believe on my word, believe on my promise, his name is Jesus. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. 
when we believe on God and his promise, which is Jesus, what is the obedience God requires? One thing, trusting in Christ, that he has died the death you deserve, my friend, and that he has lived the life that you cannot live of perfect obedience to the Father. Faith is saying, I can't do it, you did it. That's the obedience God requires to believe on Jesus from start to finish, not just at the start. Don't revert. And as you catch yourself reverting, know that in Christ you have the space and the grace to go back and say, what's my motivation for this? I repent and I redepict Christ crucified for me. Finished. The work is finished. He's he's alive. He's interceding for me. He's reigning. And he will return, as we will say to each other in a second when when we celebrate communion. Martin Luther, I told you he'd pop up a bunch too, so I'm, I'm giving you some German and I'm giving you a German in this sermon. Not Martin Luther King, Jr., we'll talk about him some too, not this sermon, but unless the Spirit leads, but Martin Luther, the reformer from 500 years ago and who helped start the, the Reformation in earnest. Um, but he said, he had this great phrase, this great phrase, uh, four words in Latin, simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator. This is what the beautiful thing that this verse, this truth unfolds before our watching eyes into our weary, yearning hearts. Simul justus, at once just, justified, right with God. Perfectly, in perfect standing, simul justus, at the same time, just or righteous before God, et peccator and a sinner. I am at once, just as Abraham, a sinner who has done many things. He sold his wife downriver to the Egyptian king and then to the Philistine king, and Abraham was quite sinful, just as we are. But God considered him righteous through his faith. His faith received the righteousness of God that would come through Christ 1,800 years later that worked retroactively even for Abraham, right, as he believed God would do what God promised. And that is encapsulated for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very word of God. If you want to know what God is saying, if you want to know what God is doing, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, crucified. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you need him. That's how desperate you are without him. That is the price that he had to bear for our sin. That is how humbled it makes me when I think about his love that I deserved that, that I'm that bad, and that is how exalted I am to the heavens when I think about the fact that he went to such lengths for me and for you. Wow. Is there anything else? No. There's not. And that is why Paul says, I am not preaching a new word. It is a fulfilled word, and it's been fulfilled in Christ. So don't look at me, Jews, and tell me there's a better way. Don't look at me, Christians, and say, we believed in Christ, but now we're going to do it our own way. No, don't do that. That's not the way it's ever been, and now it's more clear than ever. Start to finish, A to Z. We're born and we grow in the same way by looking to Christ and knowing what he's done for us and knowing the heart of God for us. And second point, this is true Jewishness. This is nothing new. This is The way that God had always planned, what What was his promise to Abraham? To bless the nations, not just the Jewish people. How are you ever a Jew? Under Abraham's, under the promise given to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ. How are we Jews? What does Paul say here? 
You're a Jew by believing, just as Abraham did, on the word of God, on his promise, and his promise is Jesus. Let me say it this way, and then I'll move to point three and be done. A Jew is a Nigerian woman who has trusted in God through the, by looking to Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for her and is now considered righteous with the righteousness of God. Pimel Eustace at Peccator. And through that righteousness received by the Holy Spirit, inside of her is she, as she gospels and re-gospels herself, being actually made righteous, more like Christ, matured in Christ with his image, more and more fully formed in her? Yes. Is she a Jew? According to Paul, yes. Was Rahab, the one from Jericho, the Canaanite, a Jew? Yes. Was Abraham, who was from Ur, worshiping the moon god Nana, was he a Jew? Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't about ethnicity. It's still not about ethnicity. Through faith in Christ, all of the nations are, be able, are able to become the Israel, the people of God, Jews. An unbelieving ethnic Jew in the land of Israel that has a house in Jerusalem is not a Jew, according to Paul's definition, until they trust in God's promise, and his promise is Jesus. You reject Jesus, you're not a Jew. I don't care what your ethnicity is. That's what Paul's saying here. Can you see how inflammatory and how revolutionary and how wonderful and how much it ticked the ethnic Jews off until they submitted to the word that is Jesus? The Nigerian woman is a Jew if she's trusted in Christ. The ethnic Jew, if he's rejected Christ, you're not God's son. You're not God's daughter. He's made a way. You've rejected that way. You're trying to do it in your own strength. There is no second way, friends. That's what Paul's saying. Not this Paul, but he'd say it too. Okay? So that's the second thing. It's not a new word. That is how you become a true Jew. And finally, Jesus Christ became a curse for us briefly we have received blessing because he has taken our curse upon himself. Just as it is written, Paul says, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy, from the law here. He's saying, he's saying, the Deuteronomy 21, verse 23 and 24 says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So if you're hung on a tree overnight, you're cursed. And Tim Keller helpfully says, you're not cursed because you've been hung on a tree. You've been hung on a tree as a sign that you are cursed. That's a slight but very important distinction that I've never really fully gotten until this week. It's not that Christ, it's not that because he was hanging on that cross, on that tree for us, he was a curse. He was accursed, and as a sign of that, he was hung on that tree. He was accursed by whom? By God, his Father. Because it's what we deserved for breaking God's perfect law and for hating God. And he takes our sin personally. Go read the book of Hosea. God says, look, your sin is not impersonal. To me, it is as a man taking a wife for himself and the wife going off and whoring herself out. That's what you've done to me. That's what you do to me every time you've sinned because I've made you for myself and I have you in my heart and you're going after other lovers. And Jesus Christ, can I say it, became that prostitute on the cross. He became, 2 Corinthians 5.21, our sin. He didn't just take our sin. He became our sin. Paul doesn't say here, he was cursed. He became a curse. Because what does our sin do? What does our sin do? We are not called, we are not called people who sin in the Bible. You will not find it. We are called sinners. It's not 
just what we do. We do it because it's who we are. It's our disposition. It weaves itself into the fabric of your being. You're born a sinner separated from God because of our inheritance in Adam, okay? And at our very core of who we are, we build bridges, we do amazing mathematical things, we even do kind things for the people, we hand out free water, we do all these things, but at our core, we want to be in control of our own lives. We do not want to bow to God, and we have this mounting debt, and it's personal. It's personal. And sin isn't just what we do, it's who we are. So let me give you an illustration and then wind down. Um, Years ago, about 10 years ago now, because I used this illustration in Scotland when I was filling a pulpit, and that was a while ago, there was a man, I read an article about a man who was so large that he had, he couldn't get out of his chair, he was like a big old lazy boy, right? He was a guy in America, of course, and um, yeah, Houston, he probably, he wasn't in Houston, but it could have been, right? I mean, we got some restaurants. All right, so... Going off script, the whole sermon. All right. Um, seriously, though, true story. So big guy, sad. Okay, sad. I'm not trying to make a lie of it. Sad. Big guy, stuck in his chair. Couldn't get out. In fact, everything that you do, not in a chair, I'm just going to put it like that, he did in the chair for a long time. And he got nasty. And, and stuff happened. And the chair, here's the point, actually wove itself, the fabric actually wove itself into his skin. So when they extracted him, they actually carved a hole in the house, got a crane, pulled him out, pulled him out of the chair because he would have died in the chair. And it was so severe that pieces of his skin came off and he died. Sad story. True story. What's the point? I'm not telling you that just to gross you out. But let this gross you out. That's what our sin does to us. It's not just on top of us. It's not just under us. It's not just something we hold on to and let go of when we want to. It's woven itself into the fabric of our being. Why did Christ, to make satisfaction for you, become sin? That's why. Because you, to be saved, would have to be destroyed. Because you're not, you don't just sin, you're a sinner. Jesus was destroyed. Could it be destroyed as much as an infinite being could be? Sent to hell, endured all of the hell that you deserve, became your sin, tasted it, all the despair, all the hopelessness, all the anxiety. Paul's not just talking about the objective curse. He's talking about the subjectivity of the sin, the stuff that makes us feel like we're in darkness and isolated and ridden with guilt. Jesus felt all that. He bore it. He became it. And then he buried it. He finished it. It's done. So don't you try. Sorry, Philly. She's giving me a call back. Don't you try, Paul says, you fool, to start with Christ and go anywhere else. You stay in Christ. You preach Christ to each other. You preach Christ to yourself. You stay in his word day and night. You abide in him. You remind yourself. You remind your friends. You remind the lost person on the street, the one at H-E-B, the one at Chick-fil-A. I don't care where you are. On a mission trip. You're on a mission trip here. You're always on a mission trip because you're a new creation. It's enough at the beginning. It's enough in the middle. It's enough.